If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through Acts chapter 15, picking up in verse 36, and we'll continue to walk through this together as this has huge applicational value to our lives as a church now. And so let's pick up in verse 36 of chapter 15. Now after some days, Paul, which means small, and Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, said, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we have proclaimed the word of the Lord to and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, the one who wrote the gospel of Mark, along with them also. But Paul had a different idea and kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them and Paphilia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred between these two guys a sharp disagreement, and they separated from one, of our, one another. And Barnabas took Mark and, and, uh, with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And we no longer ever hear from Barnabas again. He's off the scene. And serves him right. No, I'm just teasing. And Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren and the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and Lystra. And a disciple was there by the name of Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Basically a third generation believer because his grandmother was a believer as well. But his father, he was a Greek, and he was well spoken of, Timothy was, by the brethren who were in Lystra and all the way into Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those parts, for they all knew that Timothy's father was a Gentile. Now while they were passing through the cities, they We're delivering the decrees which I've decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. And I'm going to stop there because I might drag verse 6 into our study next week, so we'll stop right there. So with that being said, let's ask for God's blessing. We'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, come before you thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would clear my thoughts and wash my feet of my sin. Lord, I confess that any any wisdom I bring here is, is yours. I have none to offer of my own. Any gifts I have are from you. Any wisdom I have is from you. Father, it is infinitely easier to write a message than it is to live it. So, Father, I preach this to myself first. And I ask that my church family would simply listen in. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We ask that He teach us right now through your word. And so, Father, I pray these things and I ask them in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're thankful to be here, say amen. Amen. All right. Have you ever said the words, well, that settles that? 
How many here realize that is never the truth? Anyone at all? Very rarely is that ever true in our lives. When we walk out of a room and say, well, that settles that. That's kind of what's going on here right now. If we remember our study from two weeks ago, Paul, small Barnabas, son of encouragement, leave the church of Jerusalem, and the conflict is settled. And it was James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the presiding elder of the Jerusalem church that confirmed it. He said this, he said, Gentiles do not need to be circumcised or follow the law in order to be saved. However, he said, and you'll remember this as a James clause, he said, everyone needs to show sensitivity to one another's culture in order to maintain unity in the church. Because you have Jews and you have Gentiles and their cultures clash. And you have to show sensitivity and concession to that. In fact, James' teaching from last uh, couple weeks ago became known within the theological realm as James' clauses. James' clauses are biblical principles of displaying cross-cultural concern, sensitivity, and concession on non-essential truths that will lead to relational harmony in the truth or in the church. Basically, be rigid as steel on essential truths and flexible as reeds on discernible issues. Now, here's what I want you to grab here. And with this matter settled, the Jerusalem church sends a letter to the other churches from James and the apostles proclaiming that circumcision and law is not needed for salvation and that unity in the church is of the utmost importance. Now, I want you to grab this. Look at what Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul do with this letter. They immediately get into a fight with one another and Paul grabs Timothy and circumcises him. Have you ever said, what are you doing? Parents, are you awake at all? I said, clean the kitchen, not destroy the kitchen. They literally are doing the opposite of what they were just told to do. How many in here can feel this just a little bit? How many here have been guilty of doing the opposite of what you know the Lord has instructed Jay Morgan summarizes how this may make us feel. He says this, I am greatly comforted whenever I read this about Paul and Barnabas. For in this moment, I realize that the apostles were not angels. They were merely men. How many here are thankful for that? They're just like us. So what we're going to do here is we're going to dive in. And I think that you will see that as we dig deep Things may not be exactly how they appear on the surface. Grab that sentence. Things may not always appear exactly how they appear from our perspective on the surface. Truth is, rarely is what we see the whole story. But boy, oh boy, do we like to draw concrete positions by it. So let's let's not be quick to judge these two men here. When we only have the footnotes. So let's, let's dive into this just a little bit. It says this, And there occurred a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Now the first thing we need to do is make sure that we don't soft serve what is going on here. This is not agree to disagree here. 
The word sharp disagreement here describes anger and irritation or exasperation by these two men. In fact, did you know that this word is used within the Word of God again in the book of Deuteronomy to describe the wrath of God? This is the kind of disagreement that Paul and Barnabas are in. So so sharp is this disagreement that Luke, who by the way is there with them at this time because we are in the we passages, he's witnessing this. He says, the only word I could use to describe this disagreement is the wrath of God when he dumped all the curses on his nation. This is no small squabble. Now, and it's all because... Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. He wanted to take John Mark. Paul did not want to take him because it appears earlier in the ministry, Mark deserted them when the going got tough. And it is here that we see the personality of both men coming out. Paul, who was just done with John Mark. He was done. John Mark has failed and could not be trusted ever again. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever freeze someone's personal growth on one failure that you have experienced from them? This isn't biblical. Barnabas, son of encouragement, says, I see potential and opportunity for growth. Oh, and by the way, there's a little detail here. Barnabas and Mark are cousins. This is my family, Paul. This is my cousin. And and let's give them another chance. There's an opportunity for growth right here. We see that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And Paul said this, Mark is not worthy. Barnabas said he is family and he deserves an opportunity to grow. So here's the question, who is right and who is wrong? Because everything must be black and white. Everything must be right or wrong. It can't possibly be that there was a competing perspective, right? That's kind of how we live in our political culture. So let me just get to the point. Who is right and who is wrong? Probably neither and both at the same time. Probably neither and both at the same time. Paul may have been right in the short term. Paul or Barnabas would have been right in the long term. And by the way, both could claim biblical high ground here. Both could claim high ground. And here's an interesting thing. Luke, who is with him, places no blame on either one of them. He places no blame on either side. Yet to have this kind of anger and irritation is not the will of God as well. Both men should have graciously agreed to disagree and part ways in a spirit of mutual respect and Christian love. You know, sometimes I think that it is within our nature to say, because I'm right. And how many here, when we see things from our perspective, is willing to be honest enough that when I see something through my perspective, it must be the gospel truth? Anyone at all? Anyone want to raise their hand with me? Been guilty of that at all? Because I am right, and because what I see is what I see, we feel as though we have the right to become an unmovable Winston Churchill Christian. One who never moves, everything is right and wrong, as though that is a virtuous thing to do all of the time. But we must calibrate our responses by recognizing that the issue or the one we are opposed to is not Hitler. Can I get a witness at all? We have to calibrate that. 
the issue or the believer that we might be opposed to is not bombing Poland, all right? They are requesting a song we don't like to sing. So we must calibrate our responses accordingly. Did you know it is quite possible and even likely for those who are most doctrinally right in the church to do the most practical damage because of how we stand for it? May we hear this as children of God. The how matters as much as the why. The how matters as much as the why. Here, finish this statement. Truth without love is what? Noise. It is noise. Inflexibility in the church can cause as much damage as indulgence. I want you to hear that again. Inflexibility in the church can cause as much damage as indulgence. We tend to always see conflict as binary. One must be in sin, the other must not be. How many are thankful that the American political system has not fallen victim to this? Amen? That we got politicians that are, are willing to reach across the aisle and not deem one another as evil. Is anyone awake at all this morning? <laughs> I could not have thrown a larger piece of meat on the ground. When the truth of the matter is, often passionate disagreement is over differences of opinion, differences of perspective, differences of perceived understanding. That's what's going on here with Paul and Barnabas. There are a few things that I would like to lift out of this passage and just allow you to observe them and me to observe them and apply them to whatever current situation there might be in your lives of which I may not even be aware of. I just want to lift these up and you... um, Hi, son. (laughs) Good of you to make it. Um, No, I'm just teasing. He was ushering. He was ushering. Still incredibly distracting. Um... And as I see it, morally wrong on your part, and you are evil. No, I see, I used that as an example there. I just want to lift this up and just allow the Holy Spirit to pull some examples here. First thing I want you to see, personal conflict can arise between people who share the same theology. Personal conflict can arise with those who share the same theology. Shared theology does not ensure unity. Unity is ensured when sound theology is applied, not just understood. Number two, spiritual maturity does not erase personality differences. And all of God's people said what? How many here, and you love everyone, I know you love everyone, and so do I. And we love everyone the same, so do I, all right? We all are are, are loving one another just as Christ Jesus has loved us, right? But how many here are willing to admit with 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 a yes, all right, say yes, that there are people in your life that when they walk into the room and they haven't even spoken are on your last nerve. If you've ever experienced that, say yes. Are you married to them? Not me. I've read about it. I've counseled you guys about it. I'm joking. We all have, listen, personality differences are not sin. There are people, when they walk into the room, you're like, sweet Jesus, give me grace. By the way, none of us are graduates of grace, amen? We all need it. As though, as though we have arrived. Personality differences are not sin. And then finally, personality clashes should not cause us to stop serving the Lord. 
Neither Paul or Barnabas let the clash stop them from serving the Lord. And I want you to notice something here. Paul didn't travel to Syria and all the other places telling all the other churches about how evil Barnabas was. He didn't travel to all the other churches and and talk about how Barnabas was wrong or passive-aggressively make comments. In fact, there is no indication in Scripture of that whatsoever. In fact, every point in time that from here on out, because Barnabas is off the scene, every time Paul writes about Barnabas and John Mark, he writes in a kind, supportive manner. There's the Holy Spirit talking to us there doesn't make them evil. Sometimes it is the will of God for good men and women to separate. The reason no blame is put on either individual position is because their disagreement is not a moral one. Both had valid points. And ministry would be best served in separate ways, but not as enemies. I am often asked, and maybe you are often asked as well, to, to weigh in on a conflict between two people. How many here are thrilled when you are asked to, to be inserted into a situation that you don't want to be in? Anyone at all? Hey, what do you think about this? One is evil, one is good. Do you agree with me? I enjoy those conversations. And I'm asked to choose sides. After all, someone must be wrong. Someone must be evil. If it's not right. And actually, this is not always the case. There are times when I must say the words in humility because I've been in the situation, I've been observing the situation, because I am on this uh, uh, someday not yet journey just like you are. There are times when I'm both sides of the fence on this, so in humility... I sometimes have to say, I cannot and I will not jump into this and umpire the situation. Because both sides are within the clear teaching of God's Word. It is not my place to call balls and strikes within God's clear permissive will. It is actually my job to sit in the stands or get in the field and submit to the balls and strikes that God has already called out in His Word. Amen? That is our role, to submit. Here's the greatest takeaway I can grab from this. Every disagreement in the church or between people is not always a right and wrong issue. It is possible, grab this, to have two valid points in competition at the same time. And when this happens, it's our natural, it's our natural indication to demonize the other side. They must be evil. Paul must be cold-hearted. Barnabas must be too soft. When in reality, rather than demonize, we should humanize. I wonder what's going through their mind. That must have been a very difficult thing. A difficult call. Not in my notes the other day. On my way home, I was waiting for a left-hand turn, and the light turned green for the cross traffic. And if I get through this illustration, remembering what I'm trying to say, it'll be a miracle. How many here can't get through sentences at all without going, I forgot what I was saying? You're a little young for that, buddy, but we'll pray for you, all right? And I was waiting for this left-hand turn, and and and, and it turned green, and all these cars, the person in the front didn't move. And all these cars started trying to get around and they were beeping their horn and they were giving this, this lady a one-finger salute. Are you following me here? 
A lot of people thought she was number one, and, and I couldn't get over there. And, and I'm watching this, all right? And, and I'm like, wow, she's really jamming up traffic, and people are blowing their horns, and it was just an absolute mess. And then all of a sudden, someone pulled up next to the lady. And they got out of their car in the middle of the, middle of the busy intersection, and they knocked on the window, and I could hear them screaming, Are you all right? The lady had passed out at the wheel in the middle of the intersection. It was a miracle she didn't roll into traffic. Here's my point. Everyone just started demonizing this lady. Just demonizing. What is she doing? How dare she? Oh, she's getting in my way. And one humanized her and asked her if she was okay. When you find yourself in these areas, rather than label them evil, maybe label them human. Now, with that being said, disagreement with someone doesn't make them evil. Spiritual discernment, maturity, and submission to the Word of God is the answer here. So with all this going on, with the instruction from the church in Jerusalem still ringing in their ears, everyone concede with one another for the sake of of unity in the church. Paul and Barnabas get into a fight. And then Paul will do the unthinkable. He grabs Timothy and tries to circumcise him. You know, you think it's rough here that we ask for baptism to be membership. <laughs> Crybabies. Wait till we step up the game, all right? Enjoy the conversations with your young people, parents. All right, let's move forward, all right? This is my gift to you there. And I am not evil either, all right? You're evil. what in the world is going on here it seems like they're doing the opposite may I submit to you what appears to be the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing is exactly what they were told to do in this case what appears to be a huge failure on Paul's part is an actuality an incredible act of obedience but we just see it from our perspective so it must be wrong grab this this is really interesting because and then we'll be done and we are going to descend into the Mariana Trench of nerdedom, all right? But when we come back up, the application will, will revolutionize. It should. It should shake us awake of how we approach the church of Christ. So we're going to dive deep here and bring out a single application that the church is in desperate need of. I am in desperate need of. If I cannot do what we are about to dig out of this passage here, and we're going to stop right here. This is the last text that we're on. If I can't do this, I will destroy this church. And the truth of the matter is, if you can't do it, it will destroy the church. But if we can, the gates of hell will not stand a chance. And what we determine to do and apply what we see here will we'll answer and determine what kind of church we are going to be. And it all starts by understanding the heart and the culture and the historical background of a young man in his late teens by a disciple by the name of Timothy. Now the last time Timothy and Paul saw each other was in Lystra. This is the place where Paul got stoned to the point that they thought he was dead. And by the way, Timothy watched it all. And as he watched this all, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. 
As time went by, he became a devoted follower of Christ. In fact, it says here, he was well spoken of by the brethren. And not only in Lystra, but he was so well spoken that his testimony went all the way over to Iconium. This man is known as a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that brought him there was watching Paul get destroyed. What does that do with the prosperity gospel? And his reputation is out there. And it makes sense why Paul wanted this man to go with him. He wa- I want this guy to go with me. All of us would say, I want this kind of man or a woman to go with me. Who wouldn't want this kind of man to go with you? But here's where it gets a little tricky. Why in the world then, if you have this sold out Christian for the Lord, why would you take him and circumcise him? especially after you still have a letter in your hand from James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and the senior elder of the Jerusalem church, written with the apostles. They told everyone, circumcision is not necessary. It's not, works are not needed for salvation. You'll find that in Acts chapter 15, verse 11. Salvation is not by what you do but rather through placing your life-changing faith in Jesus Christ because of the grace of God. Why then is Timothy circumcised? Well, the answer is found in, in his cultural situation. You see, all the Jews here know that Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So we know that Timothy is, 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 is from a Jewish woman. And now this is huge. And they all knew that his father was Greek. They all knew that his father was Greek. What we have here is this. Timothy is the product of a mixed parenthood. Parentage. He is both Greek and Jewish. Now, there is no mention in the word of God of whether or not his mother and father were married. Now, I'm not saying they were. I'm not arguing in either direction. What I'm saying here is the emphasis is on the maternity and paternity of Timothy. His mother Eunice was a Jewish, was Jewish, and his father, now notice here it's written in the imperfect tense, which tells us that indicating that his father had died. His mother was a widow, the Greek father had died. Now, this was forbidden in Jewish culture. This is forbidden in Jewish culture. But when it did happen, now interesting enough, because we're all human, right? We're all human. There's going to be times when what we're supposed to do isn't what happens. Grab this. According to the Jewish Mishnah. Now, if you're new here, the Mishnah is a Jewish article where they codified and wrote down all the oral traditions that they placed around the law of Moses. This is the law of Moses. Thou shalt not. Give me one. Anyone? Steal, all right? You shall not steal. So what the Jewish community did is they wrote hundreds of laws on what stealing was. That's the Mishnah in order to protect that. Now, according to the Mishnah, an extra-biblical book, a child of mixed parentage, which, by the way, is a violation of Deuteronomy, the law of Moses, had the status of the parent who was of lower class. Now, you're ready to go full nerd on me, all right? What we're about to do here is to go into platinum 
nerd status. And if you approve of nerd status for just maybe 10 minutes, say amen. I was going to say, say Urkel, but that's way too old. It's too old for people. Did I do that? Let's move forward. My kids are cringing. Good. We're going to dive deep into this. Here's a quote from the Mishnah. The Mishnah says this. One who engages in intercourse with anyone of those to whom relations are forbidden in the Torah, the law, the offspring is to be like the woman. He is not considered his father's son at all, but has the same status as his mother. And if this bastard converts, he will no longer be considered a mamzer, which is Yiddish Jewish for bastard. So let's unpack this. We'll unpack this with a few questions because we are in nerd territory. So here's the question I want you to answer them. They're going to basically be one-word answers. Here it is. Is Timothy the product of a forbidden relationship within Judaism? What is the answer? Yes. Good job. One for one. If you get them all right, peanut M&Ms for everyone. All right? No. Here's the next one. Nerd question. What ethnicity is Timothy's mother? She's Jewish. According to the Mishnah, what ethnicity does this make Timothy? Jewish. Now, get this. Going a little bit into dirt nerdy here. Here it is. What must Timothy do in order to not be a bastard? He has to what? Convert. Now, here's the final question. Is Timothy converted? Is Timothy circumcised? What's the answer? No. Culturally speaking, what we have here is this. As an uncircumcised son of a mixed parenthood, Timothy would have been seen as a man who is purposely rejecting his Jewish culture and would be seen in the region as an apostate Jew, a bastard, who, by the way, would not be allowed to go into a synagogue and participate in worship because of this. Now bear with me, I know you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with the price of tea at Myers today? Stick a deodorant, eight bucks. Let's move forward, all right? Now be honest. Those of you who know what circumcision is, and I've brought a diagram with no, I'm um (laughs) maybe a bit too far, but you're evil, I'm good. Have you ever asked your question? I'll be honest with you. How in the world would they know? Anyone at all? How in the world? Like a, a vaccination card, you know? There you go. I've been circumcised. I mean, how do they know? Am I the only one? Bunch of holy people over there? Doc, do you ever ask yourself that? Thank you. A medical professional. I'll leave that alone, all right? How would they know? Well, it's right there in the text. Timothy, not being circumcised, would have been known from by everyone. Hence the words, because of the Jews who were in those parts, who all knew his background. His mother is Jewish. His father is a Gentile. And guess what didn't happen on day eight? Anyone? He wasn't circumcised. Not only was he not circumcised, he didn't do it any time after that because you got to go in the synagogue, you got to get it recorded, and it's got to be written down. 
They know. They know his mixed parenthood. They knew all of his background, Jewish and Greek. His lack of circumcision would have been clearly known by all, and here it is, it would have been seen as a cultural affront. You see, Paul is not violating his instruction from Jerusalem. He is affirming it. Paul is circumcising Timothy for cultural reasons, not salvational reasons. Did you catch that? All Paul is doing here is taking a Jew and making him Jewish so that he could reach the Jews for Christ. This has nothing to do with salvation. Now, now that we're in the deep waters of nerdodom, we're going to push up off the ground and we're going to catch some air up here in the shallow water of application for a moment. In fact... Let me show you what Paul did for Titus. Titus was a Gentile believer that the Jews demanded be circumcised, and Paul refused to circumcise Titus. Why? Because Titus was a Gentile. Titus was a Gentile. And he wouldn't do it because of salvational reasons. Because salvation, and if you believe this, please affirm this, church, salvation is by faith alone, not of any work. Amen? That's the truth. But here, Timothy is well known in a culture that would have seen him as an apostate Jew who is purposely renouncing his Jewish heritage and living as a Gentile. And here it is. And if Paul is going to reach another Jew for Christ, he is going to have to go into the synagogues and preach the gospel, which is his pattern everywhere he goes. And Timothy, who is not circumcised as an offspring of a mixed parentage, where is Timothy as as an apostate? state Jew bastard not allowed to go. What building? Anyone? Synagogue. And on top of that, all of that nerdedom, on top of that, if Paul does not circumcise Timothy, what question, what issue, what thing will Paul spend all of his time on if he brings Timothy uncircumcised with him? What's the, what's the only conversation they're going to have? Talk to me. Why is, why is he not circumcised? Why is he in here? Why is he denying his culture? Why is Timothy choosing to renounce his lineage so publicly? To live like a Gentile and disrespect our synagogue. This would have been every time, always, without ceasing, what they would have to deal with. And here's the question, what is the goal for Paul and the church? It is to teach the gospel. And here it is, my friends, here it is, all that to get here. Timothy. Because of his spiritual maturity that was well known in Lystra and all the way to Iconium willingly sets his spiritual rights aside. Grab that. Willingly sets his spiritual rights aside to allow Paul to circumcise him. Here it is. In order to keep the main thing, the main thing. Are you feeling the application? The application here is so heavy, we don't even have to reach up to pick it. To keep the main thing the main thing, he will render his, this cultural obstacle a mute point. Timothy will not allow himself, 
and he will not allow his right to distract from the main thing. I was listening to Paul David Tripp this week, and he said something that really spoke to me. He said, as believers, we all have to fire our inner lawyer. Some of us have an inner law firm. You following me? My rights, my thing, my issue. Me, 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 me. In the name of the gospel, right? Do you see now that Paul and Timothy are in line with the instruction from James, not in opposition of it? My friends, Paul permitted and Timothy was willing to get circumcised in order to keep the gospel the main topic, not themselves or their own issue. Paul has Timothy circumcised out of respect for Jewish culture, but he refused to circumcise Titus out of a desire to protect the gospel. So we see here the, 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 the James clause in effect. Cultural differences are respected and the gospel is protected. Let me say this another way. Unity and doctrine are protected at the same time. Because what good is our doctrine if we hate each other? What good is our doctrine if we are constantly at war with one another? What good is our doctrine if we are a bunch of Winston Churchills demanding our our binary way? My friends, not every issue is worth starting war over. When it comes to the gospel and the unity of the church, and here it is, now that we know what this means, then we can go back 2,000 years and we understand these green areas in the culture and why it's happening. Now that we understand what it means, then we can take it over here 2,000 years later and apply it to our lives now appropriately. Here it is. We must hold our rights and our claims loosely in order to keep the gospel the main thing. Oh, could there be a more applicable message to our hearts today? Or all the church will do is spend all of its time on every social subject Every personal demand under the sun except the life, work, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and how it is applied to our lives. My friends, I want to ask you a question. What does the uh, contemporary American church spend all its time on? Everything that is secondary to the gospel and godliness. Let that not be said of us. Not because we're better, but because we know now. My friends, I want to ask you a question here. It is here that we answer the question we began with, what kind of church do we want to belong to? The question that if we do not get right, we'll destroy our testimony. And if we do get right, we'll make a church so powerful and unstoppable force for our Lord. Now I'm about to go through a list of things, and we're almost done. i got like a half a page, all right? We don't have service tonight, and my... Watch is dead. So deal with it, all right? I'm about to go through a list of things that distract us in the church. And the funny thing is, we'll say amen to a lot of them. Until when? Anyone at all? Until our thing comes up. That thing. That's different. 
So I want you to challenge yourselves here. My friends, the main goal of the church is not to make sure the programs are just right for our stage of life or all agree on which author's opinion is right or our traditions and routines are kept tight and advertise that social issues we will never slight or that our positions uh, and our politics are airtight. Let it be said of us that when an issue is distracting from the main issue, we will abandon it all for nothing we have, no issue we carry is greater than the main issue. And the main issue, my friends, is the unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. That's the issue. That is the only issue. Without this issue, there are no issues. Now let me be clear. The church should never ignore sin. We're not talking about ignoring sin. I'm talking about position, rights, perceptions. I want to ask you a question. Ask it of myself and you. Do you ever think it's possible that the mission of the church is weakened or lost because everyone is trying to make their thing the main thing? In the name of Christ, God forgive us. And we will use the name of Christ or we will use the name of the gospel as a vehicle to promote our thing. But the truth be said, it's really not about the gospel. It is about ourselves. I think many of us here would say that's absolutely true, Pastor, and I would agree with you. But it's not enough. We have to make it personal. It's not enough to judge the red herring invisible person with this text. We have to apply it to our own lives. Not, not, not to the life next to you, not to the life in front of you. And please, God, help me, not only to your pastor or vice versa. What issue, what thing must you and I lay down in order to keep the gospel the main thing and our relationship with Christ is never replaced with a culture of Christ? Maybe it's a critical attitude. Maybe it's a pet ministry. Maybe it's a self-serving heart. Maybe it's desire to appear politically correct. Maybe it's a pastor confessing to the people that he does not have all the answers. He's just trying not to make a big mess. Not long ago, I met with someone that together, we both had a place where I guess we could all dig in our heels. We both could have demanded our rights and our spiritual positions. And it ended up being a big mess. And I remember praying to the Lord. I'm like, what am I supposed to do, Lord? What am I supposed to do with this? How do I, how do I address this? And and the Lord brought up the, the wisdom of Solomon, which I don't have. Remember when Solomon had two mothers in front of them? You guys know this story. Two mothers in front of him. Both were claiming the rights to what? Talk to me. The baby. The baby's mine. No, the baby's mine. So Solomon, in his wisdom, suggested that the baby be cut in half and one piece be given to each mother. The real mother who loved the baby. Now this is all about Timothy and Paul here. The real mother who loved the baby gave up all her rights so that the baby would not be harmed. 
the false mother who didn't love the baby and was fine if the baby was dead, was fine as long as she got her way. You see, the one who truly loves the baby will sacrifice all rights to keep the baby healthy. We both sat down and agreed on that. The larger issue was not who was right and wrong, although I had my fair share. I would say the lion's share. The larger issue was the health of the baby. In this case, the church was the baby. And I said, all right, Lord, I will sacrifice everything. I will concede all my rights, my positions, all of my perceptions for the sake of the baby. And this person who could have demanded all of their rights, all of their positions, said with absolute maturity, I too will give up my rights for the health of the baby, the church. We agreed that the church was more important than us. And because of this, rather than the church spending all of their energy on our thing, we can take all of that energy and use it on the main thing. And here it is. Here is the main thing. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the the person and the life and the work and the death and the resurrection and return of Jesus Christ and how it is applied to our life for salvation. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life because you and I cannot. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The penalty of our sinful life is spiritual, eternal death. So Jesus died in our place on the cross, shedding his blood, taking our sin and offering us his perfect holiness so that anyone who confesses him repents of their sins and places their faith in Him alone will have eternal life. That is the gospel of grace alone. And there is no perspective, no issue, no thing, no right that should ever displace this in the church. It is worth everything. And at the sake of sounding crude, I will say it anyone, anyway. It was worth Timothy's foreskin. It is worth my ego. It is worth any right we might claim. Oh, Trinity, let this room be filled with Timothy's. Where discernible differences are respected and the gospel is protected. Oh, my friends, that is the true church of Jesus Christ. And that is the church we desperately need to keep. Nerdedom. It does a mind good. May we be Timothy. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Apply it to our lives. Start with me. Apply it to my life. Thank you for these people. Lord, bless them. Protect them. Stretch them. And I pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.